Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. So glad on this episode to be talking with, uh, is legend a word? Can I use the word legend? Oh, sure. Why not? You know, okay. somebody, somebody, somebody has to do it. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, comics legend, Bob Shrek. May I call you Bob? Do you prefer Robert, Mr. Shrek? What, what feels best there? Bob is just fine. Okay, all right, all Robert, right. Robert is Robert is reserved for when my mother is angry. So ah, okay, all right. That that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, well, well, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for talking with me. And uh, usually, the first question I ask is about how you got started in the world of comics. And I know Comico, Comico is is the place where you're origin started professionally but curious also about what you were reading when you were a young person before you entered the profession as well sure just for uh getting everything exactly correct it was kimiko if you looked at the stationery, uh-huh. it had this uh, the japanese sun type motif on their stationery, and they were totally manga freaks uh, anime freaks gotcha so, gotcha kimiko sorry about Kimi- that Kimiko, the redundantly comic book company. Um, so yeah, what got me started? Um, I'm uh, ground zero and a half, meaning that Spielberg and Lucas and all those guys were a little older, uh, but uh, we were in there. Uh, me and my friends were in there super early on. I mean, we knew we knew that the new Blade Runner movie coming out was going to be ruined by a horrible uh, uh, voiceover. Uh, I mean, we even knew that that uh, uh, Harrison Ford purposefully phoned that in. Uh, <laughs> and thank God, years later, you can see it like a real movie. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I started drawing when I could hold a pencil. I was totally into all the arts. My mother was a musical I mean, she just played everything. So something recorded before 1930 didn't scare me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just a genre freak. I loved Godzilla and King Kong and and all Ray Harryhausen's work. And and I was a kid. I was 11, 12. And then my brother handed me a book uh, that was actually three books. Uh, the John Christopher series, uh, the City of Golden Lead, the White Mountains. It's basically War of the Worlds, but with kids, you know, a YA version of War of the Worlds. And that took me off. I was off and running and reading everything I could get my hands on. And then I met a friend who was actually my uh, paper boy. And his boss lived next door to me. And I would scare his boss's wife with my monster makeup in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm 12 years old. Just because I look like a werewolf, don't act like I am a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he mentioned to this guy, Larry, Larry Ruggiero, hey, man, you know that guy that you deliver papers to? He's just as sick as you are. And then that became the, I mean, Larry will be here in a few months to, to visit along with his younger brother, Michael. So age old best buddies. 
And he turned me on to a Marvel comic and I went, and he asked me, do you read comics? I go, nah, that's for kids, you know, kids, you know, I'm not me. And I read, I forget which Marvel I read, but I know it had that Dragon Man on it cover. It might've been by Rich Buckler. I can't remember, but I was like, oh, this isn't a movie. This is, this asks me to, to kind of engage Uh and fill, fill in those blanks. So that was it. Uh, off and running, I went on comics, and and then there was Swamp Thing, which locked me in forever. You know, yeah. I, and I've just been an avid reader, not reading as much as I used to because life and time and uh-huh. uh, interests move on. But I still keep uh, an eye on what's happening. Yeah, any um, creators titles. Uh, anything bubble to the surface as far as what's out right now that stands out to you? Um, mostly, uh, you know, I mean, Saga continues to be ridiculously talented, talented, enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll read anything by my old friend Ed Brubaker because he's amazing. And the list goes on and on of what I occasionally pick up. Uh, uh, Jeff Lemire is a genius True. Uh, I just don't. Have, I just don't have the funds to read everything he puts out because <laughs> it's voluminous. Um, uh, uh, Tom King, you know, I, I focus more on on the writers because if the art is good, that's great. But if it doesn't engage me intellectually or emotionally, you know, it's just pretty pictures, and I got plenty of them here. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so you mentioned Ed Brubaker and just curious about some of the positive connections, relationships. Uh, I always like to ask about the positives that uh, you encountered throughout your career. Um, and I'll also mention two people that I believe you had a lot to do with uh, kind of helping out in their early days. And that's Mike Allred and, and Paul Pope as well. Uh, yeah, both of them great friends to this day. Uh, just saw Mike and Laura and the family, which is now just burgeoning. Uh, just saw them a few months ago. They have a big uh, pizza party every Friday night, and it's just it's it's crazy. And his <laughs> his house was crazy back in the '90s, and it's even crazier today. <laughs> he's got he's got Han Solo and Carbonite. On, uh, in the living room with lights blinking that he installed and <laughs> so uh, we're still great great friends we don't see each other as much but we do always stay in touch uh, tons I, you know I gotta say I'm, I think I'm not unusual in that 99.9% of the relationships are good or we're good ones wonderful wonderful uh, I felt that my job was to provide a fertile ground for them to go and run and do their best work. Mm-hmm. I did not, I did not write their best work. I would occasionally <clears throat> clear my throat or ask, what did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. And once the relationship got super close, it was like, you do know, that that is really stupid, right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, oh my God, you're right. It is stupid. And 
they say goodbye to you know certain uh, certain ideas. So obviously Frank Miller and I, tight buddies for years. Uh, the list goes on. Uh, Ed, uh, Scott Morse, uh, Jim Mafood, uh, just had dinner, uh, lunch with him and Craig Thompson the other day. Nice. Um, nice. I don't, I don't let go. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you if you get in the orbit, you're stuck. So, <laughs> so many, many close. You know. Uh, uh, Steve Lieber, who mm -hmm. I've known since way back when, uh, I I was the one that said no 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 he's the one for whiteout this guy is the right one for whiteout and I was right mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah um, so many great uh, Ron Mars uh, we we connected me and Ron Mars and Judd Winnick had this strange happenstance that. Ron got a call to go down to Florida with, uh, I forget the name of the company, but it's now defunct. And uh, I knew it was not going to end well because it was putting all sorts of writers and editors in the same room. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it just exploded <laughs> in a few uh -huh. years later. Um, but while I was uh, working with uh, Judd on Green Lantern, uh well, actually, no, I was working with Ron Mars on Green Lantern. And uh, we both kind of, he confided in me that his father had just passed. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of death in my background, a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, I confided in him and one of my very great friends of childhood, left us early by hanging himself and we became very you know tight over that and yeah. then ron was ron was leaving to go to uh, the other company and judd and i were going to be taking over green lantern and uh we asked ron if it was okay if we did a story where similar things happen in green lantern that both ron and i uh, had experienced and and uh, part of my getting close with Ron, who is a straight man married, uh, was I told him about uh, my own situation of being in the closet, uh, in and out of the closet. I mean, I came out several times to my uh, my parents when I was younger, and then at nineteen or twenty, I just I did the whole Wizard of Oz thing. I was like, all right, now everybody knows, you know, and. Uh, it was traumatic. I was really seriously sitting, sitting in a car thinking maybe I should just go. Maybe I should just end it and just wow. drive this wall. Mm -hmm. And then I found a band and then it was horrible. And then, you know, and I, you know, some people accepted me and some people don't me. But anyway, we went ahead and did uh, the story. Uh, and uh, reverse of that was we, we, uh, we did the story of uh, Kyle's young assistant mm -hmm. who uh, who was gay and 17 and fought a battle there. We really wanted, I wanted to have the cover be the surprise where uh, the assistant and his uh, boyfriend, his new boyfriend, kissed on the cover mm -hmm. to Green Lantern. And I could not get that approved. They wouldn't mm -hmm. let me do 
And I, I wanted to do that because I wanted the reader to go, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And then read on and realize, yeah, you have the same bad thoughts when you see things that are not to your liking. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and kind of bring them in and go, oh, my God, here I was upset about these two young guys kissing. And now one of them's almost dead. Uh, yeah. The only the only thing I could do was torture Alex Sinclair, who colored the final cover, which was a beaten and bruised and almost dead young kid. Mm-hmm. And I sent it back, I think, three times and said, nope, I wanted more purple. I wanted more bruised and more horrifying. And yeah. he, of course, he did the job. But uh, those types of relationships, I mean, you can't. You can't make them up. Yeah, you know we were we were super tight and uh, and very proud of what we did and made the New York Times and but I would have preferred to do it in a much uh, well I consider it's like uh, Martin Scorsese saying uh, uh, what's the name of that movie God darn I hate being old uh, with uh, Daniel Day Lewis mm-hmm. and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, the Age of Innocence. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he, he was quoted as saying, it's the most violent movie he's ever made. And it was, you know, when you get to that certain point in the film where, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is gutted, you're gutted, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're hurting. So the, I always try to go for that emotional echo, that emotional beat. And, yeah. uh, and from that, both Ron and Judd Winnick, I mean, we're still housed to this day. Yeah, well, and, and what you're sharing speaks so well to kind of the role of a friend and the role of an editor and um, someone that that can be personal, that can share themselves, and then someone that can also be constructive in a way and look at other people's work, which is, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to, not to easy. get you're always You're always risking hurting somebody and... Uh, sometimes a bit too much. He uh, years later working with uh, Judd. Um, sometimes it's not doing things. Sometimes it's just filling the room. And I'm not saying it to be boastful, but I'm a pretty empathic person. Mm-hmm. And Judd was late. I mean, he was late. I was going to kill him. And I- <laughs> Made the call, and I didn't bring up deadlines. I just yeah. said, "Hey, how's it going? What's up?" Da, 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 da. And after a while, just chitter chatter, he broke. And his uncle at the time, who was like a second father to him, had just died. Mm-hmm. And I knew then, had I gone in with a big broom, saying, "Hey, let's get those stories out of your head right now." Yeah. It, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been good. And th- that was me just knowing something in the air. Let me go easy. He's not the type of guy to blow deadlines like this. Mm-hmm. And I was right. And did I get a script a week later? Yeah. So it's like a win-win. You know, yeah. it's, it's nice when you can read the room. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I was going to ask about... Um where you see the the future of comics going, but I also mentioned uh, you talk about having a a cover that uh, 
outreaches to kind of LGBTQ community um, and, and trying to get that through and uh, absolutely not being able to in the 90s. Uh, and, you know, now one of the, the benefits of the way comics are published now is that there are stories that are being published. It's nice the industry has, has come around to that. Um, so there's that, um, but also just wondering where you think the industry might be headed from here. Well, I'm a crabby old man <laughs> and I've seen a lot. And Will Eisner always said, I've seen it die. I've seen this industry die five or six times. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll use a Jerry Lewis phrase. It's like snot on a sleeve. Uh, like a pit bull on a fat lady's ass, it won't go away, <laughs> you know. Um, not exactly, you know, PC, but it is what it is. It's Jerry Lewis, for Christ's sake. Um, but uh, right now, it's pretty dire times. Um, there's multiple ways of getting your product out there, but there's multiple product out there. And uh, if you're not a marketing genius and if you're not completely in tune, uh, and even if you are completely in tune, you're not going to get the same type of respect that a Paul Pope did or an audience that Paul Pope did. Uh, Paul Pope came on the scene with THB. Uh, he didn't do Batman right away. He was Paul Pope. He was making his own stories. He made you. He made you hear music, looking at a, and reading a comic book page. You can yeah. hear his. I mean, that's that's incredible. So, and an Ed Brubaker, and I mean, I could go on and on and on. These people were lucky, and I was lucky to be involved in the medium when you can get away with almost murder mm -hmm. and, and and make it worthwhile. Even Bill Willingham. Uh, did things in, in the elementals that you just never saw before. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the beautiful rise of the uh, the uh, 80s people that thought nothing would ever touch them. And uh, they're being touched now. Uh, it's, it's a hard road out there. Um, I, I feel sorry for, for people that are fighting, to, that are worthy and are fighting to get any attention at all. Uh, Craig Thompson's newest work, Ginseng. It's ridiculous. It's so good. It's so beautiful. And it's it, they have a hard time selling it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, we are, it appears that we're fast-paced, rushed to the bottom of the barrel or below. In, in terms of, I mean, if you're not writing manga or drawing manga, which to my mind, you know, if people thought comics were ephemeral before, mm -hmm. I mean, so much of these stories and, and anime, they're just pieces of fluff. There's, you know, yeah, every now and then one has a some kind of a moral code to give you, but boy, oh boy, it's thin. Um and that's what's selling, you know, it's, it's, I don't really consider it reading. I, I consider it a, a paper version of scrolling through your, 
through your web page or something. It's just not, and, and it's huge. You mm -hmm. go to Bar you go to Barnes and Noble now, which is one of the few standing bookstores, and the kids sections mostly manga and toys, and mostly toys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True. That doesn't teach you how to read, you know. Yeah. I play with toys, but I read like a fiend when I was a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. Um. So you know, and will it spring back? Probably yes, because it's comics. Maybe we'll come up with something that replicates paper, but doesn't take the tree down. Because it has to be physical. It is not ever going to really translate as something that you do on your video screen. It's just not. It's, it robs you of that storytelling that makes you jump from page from panel to panel and page to page so something's got to break because it costs too much the uber beasts that that run the two main companies right now could care less about their talent mostly okay. and uh i'll be surprised if one of the two doesn't license out their their characters fully yeah. let let somebody else take it and be a headache because it just doesn't pay. Mm -hmm. um, and I have said for years and years and years, watch out when you get the respect of Hollywood because they're going to get the money and you're not going to get much respect at all. <laughs> oh. yeah. You can't eat respect, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have, I have a pretty dark uh, outlook, but I think I've earned it. And, um, uh, I know my good friend Bob Chapman, who's another close, close friend. He'll be there next uh, this next week. As I think, he, are you attending this week? I'm not. No, I'm, uh, I'm on the East Coast, and it's it's a little bit of a hike for me. But, uh, but well, yeah. one of the one of these days, you should go out there when it's a little smaller and there are less. Well, this year apparently there's going to be less movie stuff. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. So, which my heart goes out to. Faye Desmond and, and Jackie Estrada and the whole crew uh, that have been making this show happen for all these years because they work their butts off and they get mm. told, oh, you don't love comics anymore. They love comics, but they're a business. Mm -hmm. And when the money talks, you know, you got to make room for these people and make it. And the show was fantastic. I mean, you know, uh, I had left uh, Oni uh, and uh a few years back after I had left Joe Nosmack, who I created only with, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I actually ran, we were staying at the hotel. So we, we met up on the way to the con that morning. And, uh, there was a Scott Pilgrim band party down below, below our hotel that night before. And the uh, Sheridan was a giant ad for Scott Pilgrim. It was huge. The whole building, Scott Pilgrim, and here, here I was, one of the guys there, and I, I had nothing to do with bringing Scott Pilgrim in, <laughs> and, uh, and but I had to do it. I looked at, uh, and I'm sorry, this is a little crass, but I looked at Joe and I said, "Can you believe this? This is insane. I mean, look at this. This is, you know, I took a crap today, and it said." Scott Pilgrim saves the world on it. 
and he's like punching me in the arm. And I said, no, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm just saying they're doing a hell of a marketing job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you know, yeah. It's, a lot of those wraps are going to fold and, and a lot of those uh, spring up little side things during the streets of San Diego are going to go away because Hollywood has discovered it's not worth it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask about Oni as well and at least mention that you um, were one of the, the people that created Oni and I, I appreciate the things that have come out of that publisher as well. Thanks. Yeah, they, they <laughs> continue to, you know, a lot of what they're doing now is not for me. It's for much younger readers and Aaron Duran, who I've known for years, just got one of his his books uh, nominated for an Eisner. So that's that's really great news. I know he has been working for years to break in, and uh, congratulations to him. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. So, So, um, last official question, and then we can we can hit anything that we've missed. There's there's a lot we could talk about. Um, you are continuing to work in the world of comics. Is that true? Um, comics Code Authority, I believe? No, no I, I spent about three or four months with the Comic Book uh, Legal Defense Fund. Comic Legal Defense Fund. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yes. Which, yep. which I was a, a supporter of. I was there for the Comic Book Cruise to Mexico, which was quite, quite the event. Uh, oh. Frank Miller, Jeff Smith, uh, 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 Neil Adams, who is another amazing influence in my life, mm-hmm. not just visually, but as a person. Um, uh, Gary Groth was there, Evan Dorkin. I mean, just the craziest time of all times. And mm-hmm. Frank and Diana were there and who else? Uh, just a pile of creators. And uh, and we, we went on land in vans with the people that paid to come to the cruise. So most of these, like if a doctor ceremony, uh, uh, cruise full of doctors go, they do their lectures and they're gone. They don't mm-hmm. hang out with anybody, but we're like, come on, let's go. And had barbecues in the middle of nowhere and, and had a great time with these people. And they had a great time because they're sitting and talking to these, these people that they've worshipped and, and adored their music, their uh, comics for years, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the CBLDF and I did not get along. Uh, uh, again, part of it was me phasing out because there were things happening that I was like, what, that's popular? Mm-hmm. And, and part of it was I felt, uh, I felt they were understaffed. Uh, yeah. And I just, you know, being an old man, I was like, you know what? If I don't have get three other people to come here and do this. I mean, it was, there were too many hats and, uh, my head, it was too small. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, speaking of hats, I, I guess a good transition from that is, you know, hats off for a, a wonderful career and connections in comics that continue. And I'll mention Hush, Green Arrow, um, All-Star Superman, uh, so so many so many books out there and so many characters have your name on them so i appreciate all that you've done in the medium and uh yeah anything that i missed that uh you'd like to make sure to share um 
Yeah, like I said, I you know I hate to be a, a downer, but you know if you love the medium, work hard and work as hard as you can to find the good stuff. Yeah. It, it's it's never been more difficult, but it's it's out there uh, because they, these people have to make a living. Mm-hmm. You know when I work, when I worked at DC, uh, thankfully DC was like we used to call it the uh, um, psychic invoicing as long as you were delivering pages if we got an invoice we paid it like really fast mm-hmm. tops tops three weeks but usually within one to two and you know i always tried to temper my my iron fist of get the book in time uh, mm-hmm. to me in time with i'm not paying this health insurance i'm not paying her health insurance yeah. they've got a, yeah. they've got family they've got a life to lead and we've got to protect them and we've got to be there, be there to stand up for them. Absolutely. And, uh, the one thing I couldn't stand up for was I just took over Green Lantern, uh, no, Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, it was a very big run. Everybody, you know, we took the character and made him number one character for 16, 18 months, whatever it was. And he was dead and armless for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get, um, on the blank on this name, who's a genius painter, and he did the first cover for me. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll come to me, but the artist uh, that I, I had coming on, I think uh, 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 Mark Chirolo had him uh, signed, and I said, yeah, I love him. He's great. Mm-hmm. Well, the first piece of art he did was, I believe it had a baby on it, and a green arrow, not in the baby, but in the dirt or something, uh, and he he asked me, "Can you uh, can you see if we can just not have the logo be on the cover this time?" <laughs> and I I I I had to say, "Well, let me see." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I went down the hall to to G, and he's just I think he was already called because he was just shaking his head, "No, <laughs> not going to happen." Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the artist. Oh, I hate getting old. <laughs> but uh, he's a genius. He's a genius. He's fantastic. I believe he's Asian. Anyway, uh, yeah. So that's just another one of those moments where, you know, you got to give it the good fight, but no, no one to no one to quit. Yeah. And that name will come up to me, and I'll send it to you via messenger. Yes, and I'll <laughs> I'll be sure and add it on the episode. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. Well, well. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and glad to share your words with uh with listeners out there thank you for having me have a great day you too thanks so much bye-bye bye